We're continuing our series, A Call to Prayer, uh, where we're looking at some of the biblical teachings and examples of prayer and what we can learn from it. Let me open with a quick word of prayer, uh, and then I'll jump straight in. Uh, Dear Lord, just thank you for uh, an opportunity once again to come before your word. And Lord, I pray that we have our hearts and our minds open to its message and its meaning for us. Lord, that we might um, hear you speak into our lives, Lord, wherever we're at in our walk with you. Uh, And Lord, there might be something um, important to take away from it. Lord, we just thank you for this and pray this now in your son's name. Amen. So we're looking at this uh, passage of teaching in Luke 18. Um, And as I was uh, preparing this week, it reminded me of a story I heard um, years ago about a a preacher, an American preacher, a young, enthusiastic American preacher that was asked to go to a conference in the Philippines. And um, they arrived at the conference and the Philippines had actually been struggling with a dry spell. You know, they're kind of of reliant on a high um, rainfall. Uh, So they'd been praying for rain. For, for a number of weeks, um, unbeknownst to the American preacher. Anyway, he, he gets to the, um, the conference, and it's a very simple affair. It's kind of like a big tin roof with open walls, if you can't understand what I'm saying. And just as he gets up to preach, of course, it starts to rain. And he sees everyone in the seats shuffling, looking at each other and looking out at this rain as it's falling. He thinks to himself, oh, they can't hear me. So he gets up and he says, brothers, I'm going to pray that God will stop this rain. (laughs) Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, stop this rain. (laughs) It's still raining. He tries again. Dear Lord, in your mighty and powerful name, stop this rain right now. (laughs) Even louder. And he steps up to the the microphone and he says, let's all thank God for the rain. They all all applauded. Uh, It is good to be bold in prayer, but also we need to match that boldness with wisdom, don't we? It's good to be bold in prayer, but it's also good to be wise in prayer. Um, And we are going to uh, work on some of our wisdom when it comes to prayer by looking at some of the teachings of Jesus, some of the teachings that he gives us uh, in this passage in Luke 18. Uh, Two particular stories, two stories that Luke's put back to back because they um, overlap in their theme and their content, Um, similar but different with a really helpful message to teach us about what Jesus sees as wisdom when it comes to prayer and how it is we should incorporate that into our own walk of prayer. Um, I'm going to start with the second story that he told, which was the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector from um, 9 to 14. Perhaps um, this is one that you have heard before. Uh, verse 10, Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven, beat his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. A story I'm sure you're probably familiar with, um, a great one, a simple one, a short one, um, with a, uh, a really helpful message. But we also need to think how the first hearers would have heard this story, because we come from a bit of a different perspective. Um, we hear the story about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, um, and we know, oh, the Pharisee is the bad guy, and the tax collector is the good guy. But of course, if you're uh, a, a first century Jewish person, that's completely the opposite. The Pharisees are the good guys, the tax collectors are the bad guys. The tax collectors are the ones they have to go to and fork over more of their, than their fair share, knowing that some of that's going into their pockets. The Pharisees are the most pious of all of the Jewish um, leaders, the, the, the kind of the Jewish denominations in the era. Uh, these were the holy and righteous people. So there's an expectation that is set up when Jesus starts this story about two men going to the temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, we all know who should be the good guy. Um, but of course, that gets flipped on its head. Um, the Pharisee gets up, God, thank you that I am perfect in every way. The other man, head hung low, stands in the corner, beats his chest, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. Two very different approaches on how we should go about prayer. Two very different ideas of what is wise when it comes to prayer in front of your Lord. You see, for us, um, the, the answer to that question at the end, when Jesus says, who goes home righteous? Who is right with God? For us, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Um, but for the first hearers, it's actually not. Uh, the, the answer that Jesus gives them is kind of the, the opposite of what they thought, because one was righteous and one was a sinner. The tax collector is in the corner beating his chest for a reason, because he has probably taken what is not his. He has put burdens on the poor. He's taken food out of the mouths of the struggling common man and put it into his own coffers. He's beating his, his breast and, and asking for forgiveness because he needs it more than most. The Pharisee gets up and says, I do these things, and it's proud and it's boasting, but it's probably true. He probably does keep the law. He does give a tenth. Um, he is an obedient servant of God, or at least he is trying to be. And then if you're the first century here, the question is kind of like, well, why is, why is one rewarded? Why is the sinner rewarded and the pious person not? Well, the key to this particular parable is the, the verse at the very start, of a, which is this in verse 9. Um, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This is particularly who he's talking to, those who are confident in their righteousness. Um, we're, you know, we all can be confident in our righteousness. Paul, in all of his writings, talks about this confidence that we have in the gospel. We can have confidence, but the problem that Jesus sees is in what their confidence is put. Their confidence is not placed in God. Their confidence is placed in themselves. Their confidence is placed in their own um, piousness, their own ability, uh, what they do uh, and how they follow God. While the tax collector actually comes with no confidence in himself at all before God. He comes before God the complete opposite way. He only has confidence 
in the mercy of God and no confidence in himself. There's a larger question there about works um, versus grace, but that's a sermon for another day. Um, the point of this story is focusing on uh, the motivation of the prayer. That's the point that Jesus is, is, is highlighting here. Uh, the Pharisee, in one sense, when he comes to prayer, has completely lost his way because he is someone who knows the law. He obeys the law. He lives a right and a good and a pious life. He, he does all the things that he knows that he should. But when he gets up to pray before the, the crowd, he says, dear Lord, and then everything he says after that isn't to God at all. He's not actually speaking to God. He's speaking to everyone who's there. I think this is the point that Jesus is making. He's like, he's had his reward in full because he wasn't actually talking to God. He was just talking to be heard by those that were there. The only thing that he did to make it sound like a prayer was to say, dear Lord, at the start. Whereas the tax collector, what he was saying was solely to God. It, it was a conversation from his heart to his heavenly father. What was great about the prayer of the tax collector was that it was a prayer from the heart, that it was truly a conversation between um, God and uh, one of their children, one of his children, you know, one who cries, Abba, Father, dearest daddy. It wasn't the words that he used. It wasn't the eloquence that he put forward. It wasn't his lifestyle. It wasn't the character of his heart because he was likely not a good guy. He was likely not living a good lifestyle. But what Jesus celebrates about the prayer of the tax collector is that it was real. It was a real prayer, something he really meant, a conversation he really had between him and his heavenly Father. I don't know if you've ever been in a time when um, you're with other people and you're praying about something. Maybe there's something that's come up, um, you know, that's like there's someone who's who's suddenly come sick or there's something that you're worried about, whatever it is. But prayer in the group when there's people who are really praying, like it's re like what they're saying is really pouring out of their hearts. Have you been in those, those times? Have experienced those sorts of prayers? Man, that's powerful, isn't it? They're the prayers and you're like, whoa, you just get those tingles down your spine. You feel like the Spirit's moving. You know, the other day when we were praying down the front down here, I kind of felt that, that tingle in my spine like the Spirit was moving because people were praying passionately from their hearts. God moves powerfully in the prayers of his people when they are real, when they are heartfelt. When we say, Lord, forgive us, do we really mean it? Are we really saying, Lord, forgive me? for I am not what I should be. Or are we just saying, because it sounds like the sort of thing that Christians should pray, you know, like I've heard this one before. I'll do the, I'll do the Father, forgive me one. God doesn't want empty platitudes. He doesn't want the reading of a script in prayer. He wants your heart. You know, we live in this kind of whatever British colonial um, culture where we're not so good at publicly expressing emotion. Other cultures do it an awful lot better than we do. And I think that's let us down a little bit when it comes to our understanding of how it is we should come before our Father. That what he celebrates is honest pouring out of one's heart before God. The question that rises from that for us is, are our prayers from the heart? Or are they just the kind of words which we think sound good in a prayer? 
story number two. Um, let me jump into that one. Uh, this is uh, starting at verses two. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't continually come and attack me. Then the Lord said, listen to what the judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out from day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Firstly, whenever it comes to parables about prayer, half the time I'm just super confused. I'm like, what happened? I'm confused. Who's the characters? This one is a weird one, is it not? Like, so there's a judge, a crooked judge, a judge that doesn't do the right thing, that doesn't care what other people think, that doesn't fear God. Um, and then there's this kind of feisty uh, widow who is seeking justice. Um, and then finally she gets it because she keeps badgering him. And then Jesus says, and this is how you should pray. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that, that, that clears it up for me, uh, I suppose. Am I, the, am I the judge or am I the widow? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's a, bit, it's a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? Um, in the story, the judge relents because um, she comes daily badgering him in the court. Uh, and just to get rid of her, it, it, it says a fear of it being attacked by her. And I think um, reading some of the commentary, it's like that she, he was feeling beat up by her constant um, badgering of him, you know, like publicly shamed or whatever. Eventually, he just relents. Um, what exactly is going on here? We have these two stories. Both stories are about contrasts. So the one we just looked at, the contrast of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, here too we have a contrast. But it's not a contrast between the widow and God. Uh, the widow and the judge, sorry. Um, it's a contrast between the crooked judge and God. This is the contrast that Jesus is highlighting here. He says, uh, even though this crooked judge who cared only for himself and not for actually bringing justice, even though he eventually would relent and bring justice to the widow, well, how much more will your good father bring justice for your pleas? That's the comparison that is being highlighted. When the children of God ask their heavenly father, how much more will he give? How much more reliable is he than earthly judges, right? Infinitely so. So you can approach with confidence is the point I feel like Jesus is pulling out of this parable. It reminds me of um, this parable, the parable of the knocking neighbour. Do you remember that one? I've preached it a couple of times. The neighbour comes in the middle of the night to um, his uh, his neighbour's house. He needs some bread. Someone's arrived. He The, the guy's in bed. He's like, leave me alone. He's this won't stop knocking on the door. No, I need some bread. And eventually he gets up and he gives him the bread. He says, go away. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. That's another bit of a head scratcher. 
Um, but it's that, that idea of persisting, persisting in prayer. Um, it's similar to this parable, um, but different as well. Uh, because uh, the point that Jesus is making is that it's not about the, 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 the quantity and the persistence of the prayer that forces the judge to do the right thing, right? The point that he's making uh, is, is that God is so much more reliable and trustworthy than anything you will find in this world. God can be relied on. His mercy can be relied on. His justness can be relied on. We can rely on him for these things in prayer. It's not like you can force God into a decision just through the volume of prayers or the persistence of prayers. We can see this in other parts of the scripture. But what we can rely on is the goodness of the judge. What we can rely on is the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of our Father for whom we bring our requests to. Um, we see this in the, in the scriptures that, uh, you know, you can't force the hand of God. Paul the Apostle um, famously uh, in one of his letters talks about this, this thorn in his flesh, right? Some um, people think it could have been a bulged disc, a back problem of some description. If you're an older man in the first century and you need to walk around and travel on horseback or travel in a wagon or whatever, having a back problem like that is not good. Now, Paul has healed many. He has brought dead back to life, right? He has seen the prison walls crumble in front of him and he prays to God three times to take this thorn from my flesh. But what's God's response? My grace is sufficient. So there's no, if, if Paul the Apostle can't force the hand of God, then I, I probably think that we're probably not going to be a whole much a whole lot better off to be able to do the same. Um, but what God gives Paul is the point of his story there. Uh, he says, I will not take the thorn from your flesh, but I will give you my grace and I will give you more. He's trustworthy. Paul brings this request to God. He doesn't get what he asks for, but God gives him more of what he needs most, which is his grace. We have these two stories. And we learn from these two stories that Jesus teaches us in prayer to be earnest and heartfelt, to pray from the heart, not to uh, think of prayer lightly or rashly, not as an afterthought, but with intention, with repetition, uh, with purpose to our Heavenly Father who listens and responds. One final story I've got for you. Um, in um, the... Uh, early Christian communities uh, around that North African uh, region, um, they started up a, uh, a daily ritual of prayer where they would um, walk their prayer walk. As in, they literally would have a walk, who knows how long it would be, or maybe a kilometre or whatever, and they would walk this prayer walk every day. And as they walked every day, they would pour their heart out to their Lord. And everyone would have their own walk. They would all have their own trail that they would, walk on. Uh, and as they walked it, as the days went by and the days turned to weeks and turned to months and turned to years, they would wear down the path of their, of their trail as they walked. Uh, and if one of the brothers um, had uh, started to lapse in their daily prayer walks, one of the other believers would come over and say, brother, the grass grows on your path. Just as a loving reminder to not give in, not forget these important patterns. The question for us is, is the grass growing on our path? Is the grass getting a little bit long? 
for us. Are there particular um, patterns of prayer or um, routines that you once had that you've let slip a bit? Uh, And is it time to put the shoes back on and start walking those paths, treading them in a bit more? Uh, This teaching for us should be uh, an encouragement to keep walking in Christ with prayer, to keep the grass short on our path. Um, Ben, can I invite you up? Um, I'll pray, uh, and then we'll have our final song together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity that we get as your people to come before you in prayer. Uh, Yeah, Lord, as we um, walk through this life, we are reminded that what you call us into is not a system of rules and regulations, that it's, it's the deepest of relationships. It's the relationship between a small child and a father, a small child and their parent, Lord. And that is, a, that is a valuable thing. That is a beautiful thing. Lord, that is a reality that we need to kind of sink deep into our hearts. And Lord, every, every uh, parent uh, wants to hear from their kids. And we pray, Lord, uh, that... Uh, that we will not we will not um, fall lax in our conversations with you, Lord. Lord, we pray that um, the prayers of our mouths will be from our hearts, that they will never be just words, but they'll be pouring out of the heart. Lord, it doesn't matter what the words are, but what matters is what's inside, Lord. And we just pray that that might be a truth in our own prayer lives, our own walks of prayer. We just thank you so much that we can come before you in this way. We can come before you in prayer, come before you in word, come before you in song. And we just thank you for this and pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.